Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello and welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. It has been an exciting couple weeks around here. I've had so many conversations with so many of you about the interviews that I had with Kyle Bishop a couple of weeks ago and Alicia Crosby last week. We have had some beautiful, healthy conflict conversations. I've gotten a chance to ask some difficult questions, and I've been really thrilled to watch you take those questions, sit with them, listen to your inner knowing, come back with your answers, which have been so thought-provoking and have led me to do more and more research, which has all led to this podcast. This podcast is thanks to you, and I'm so grateful for it because I think all of us coming from high-demand religion are incredibly familiar with confirmation bias. We're aware of times in our religious past when we discarded information that didn't support our cherished beliefs. And I think many of us believe that when we deconstruct high-demand religion, that we're going to deconstruct some of the thought control techniques that were part of our religious upbringing. And unfortunately, as I've done some introspection and as I've looked around in the deconstruction space, I don't think that that's always true. I think that we can deconstruct Mormonism or we can deconstruct Jehovah's Witnesses or fundamentalist Christianity or even just mainstream Christianity or Islam. We can deconstruct those beliefs and keep some of the patterns of thought, the subconscious beliefs about how the world works, and we can almost create a new high demand religion for ourselves outside of the high demand religion we came from. Steve Hassan, whose work on mind control and leaving cults has been highly impactful in my life, often talks about how when we've been involved in a cult, we become more susceptible to being in a cult again in the future. And I don't think this is because we crave cults. I think it's because subconsciously our brains are looking for certainty. And if there's one thing that high demand religion and cults provide for us, it's the sense of we have the answers, we are right, the rest of the world is wrong, and our brains really like the certainty that is provided in those settings. Our brains have evolved to avoid uncertainty. They evolved to create patterns and quickly process information and keep us safe. Our brains primarily function to keep us alive and to experience as little pain as possible. Often, uncertainty poses a threat. We don't know what is here in this new place, in this darkness, in this void, and our brains will want to rush to fill the uncertain space with certainty of a different variety. So we leave the cult, we leave the high-demand religion where authority gave us all the answers, We felt like we were right. The thinking had been done and our brains got to go kind of on vacation again about certain topics. They got to be like, okay, thinking's done. We're not going to have to think deeply and critically about those things anymore. We've already made up our minds. And the moment we decide something is right or the truth, our brains only filter the information that supports those beliefs unless we actively fight against it. So it's really easy to slip into confirmation bias, whether you were raised in high demand religion or a cult or not, because our brains have so much to process. They're looking for shortcuts. They're looking for patterns. Our brains are like, okay, no, we've already done the thinking about this topic. So now we're only going to let in information that confirms that. So what happens is our brains who are used to having the certainty, used to having the right answers, when we deconstruct, we go to a place of uncertainty. Everything feels like it's up in the air. 
I know I've talked a little bit about feeling like my entire identity, everything I knew, everything I was kind of spilled on the floor after I left Mormonism. And I've had other people say that it felt like everything just was floating in the breeze. If you feel like that, it's because that uncertainty is what happens when we deconstruct the high-demand religion. But here's the catch. Our brains don't like that uncertainty. It feels unsafe. We genetically evolved to avoid uncertainty because our ancestors needed to know what berries were safe to eat and which animals had the big sharp teeth and what to avoid and what spaces in their environment were unsafe. Our brains evolved to protect us and keep us alive. When we did things that were uncertain, when we went to dark places we didn't know, when we ate berries no one had ever consumed, when we saw an animal we had never confronted before, uncertainty came with risk. We didn't know if those berries were poisonous or if that animal was dangerous. And so our brains developed to really, really dislike uncertainty. So when we deconstruct, we get into this place of uncertainty and our brains are freaking out. And they're looking for another certain place to land. And this makes us really vulnerable to other high demand thought systems. Because when we have left a cult or a high demand religion, where they gave us all the answers, we're often not used to critical thinking for ourselves. We're often not used to making decisions for our own lives. We're often out of touch with our own inner knowing. We may not trust ourselves yet. And so sometimes what happens is we leave those spaces and we look for a guru or a group, or a YouTube channel that has the answers and can feed them to us. We're looking for another certain place to land, someplace where we feel safe and comfortable and our brains can rest. Now, what I'm seeing in the deconstruction space, and I'm not the only person, Naked Pastor has talked about this, Um, Joe Lumen has talked about this, If you are not following either of them, please, on Instagram, go look for Naked Pastor. David Hayward is so incredible, just such an empathic, kind human being. He's an artist. His art is amazing. When you go over there, I think you'll recognize his Jesus cartoons and his rainbow sheep. I have several of his pieces of art in my home, and I think you'll love what he has to say. He started doing a lot of reels that have been really touching and I think healing for a lot of people. But I've noticed that he's been bringing this up. And then Joe Lumen, if you're not familiar with her, she does a lot about decolonizing Christianity and taking out the supremacy in Christianity. Her work is incredible as well. And both of these people that I highly admire have been talking about how there's this movement in deconstruction spaces sometimes for there to be a right way to be. And you have noticed that with some of my guests on my podcast in the last year. Some of my guests have presented their information as this is the right way. Sometimes I have done that. I've almost made it seem like the way I think about it is the right way. So let me apologize for that right now. As I'm deconstructing high demand religion, I'm still deconstructing some of these needs for certainty, some of this confirmation bias, some of this idea that there is a right way to be, right? And sometimes that comes out in me. I really try to fight it because the whole purpose of this podcast is for you to be the authority in your life. I have never wanted to be the guru in anyone's life except for my own. Believe me, it is hard enough deconstructing my own stuff, figuring out where I want to go, and it changes constantly because I'm constantly learning and growing. So the whole point of this podcast is to help you hear your voice, decide what works for you, make the best choice for you, and to feel at peace about that, and to give yourself permission to continue to grow from there because all of us will be constantly evolving, changing, growing, learning new stuff, changing our minds about things that we thought were right, even after deconstructing whole systems that we found out were not right. I think one of my deepest fears 
as I'm in the coaching space and as I'm watching other people in this deconstruction space, I see a very real danger of creating another cult. I've seen several of my coaching friends create their own cults unknowingly, where they talk about things in very certain terms, where it's right or it's wrong. They lay out a pattern of this is the way. This is the way you heal. This is the right way. This is the way to happiness. And I'm just telling you right now, if you ever hear me say or do something like that, do not hesitate to call me out because I don't want it. I do not want to be the guru in anyone's life. I do not want to be a cult leader at all. I don't want to be involved in any more cults if I can help it. So because I see this as a risk and because I see how easy it is for us to gravitate to certain ideas and only want to consume information that supports those ideas and those beliefs, we're going to have this conversation today. So please, please, if you ever hear me speaking about things in a very us versus them way, speaking about things in a right versus wrong or come follow me kind of a way, call me out. I want that kind of accountability. I'm going to try and hold myself accountable. I'm going to use the tools that I'm teaching you today to combat confirmation bias as a way to hopefully not bring those things into the podcast. But if you ever hear that, please, my door is open. I'm opening the same door to you that I opened to my kids, that I opened to my husband, that I opened to my family. If you have an issue with something I'm saying or doing, my door is open. I want to hear from you. Please help me see myself clearly. Please help me see how I might not be showing up in the ways that I say I want to show up. Because just like you, I'm learning, I'm growing. I'm constantly evolving, and I am deconstructing a heap of religious trauma and childhood trauma just like you are. I've come a long way on the healing journey, but I am going to be doing this work, peeling layer after layer after layer of it, perhaps for the rest of my life. Anytime you give me input about your questions and concerns, it gives me a chance to really reflect on how I'm showing up if it's in alignment with my values, and if there's anything I can learn from the experience, my conversations with you teach me and help me learn and grow. So thank you to every single person who sent me a message this past couple of weeks. Thank you for those of you who really pushed back on me. Thank you for those who shared their really deep and vulnerable thoughts And thank you for those who asked questions back and forth. You expanded me over the past two weeks. And that's really what this podcast is all about, is just giving ourselves permission to push out against the boxes that we often put ourselves in and to allow ourselves to continue to be curious about who we are and about how the world works and about what we believe, to continue to learn and to continue to grow. So I don't know about you, but when I embarked on this deconstruction journey, I kind of imagined that I would be leaving one place where I had felt very certain for very many years of my life. And I knew that I would be passing through uncertainty as I deconstructed. I kind of had a good gut feeling for that. I knew that growth included going into some place where things feel uncertain and unorganized. But then I thought that I was going to go land in another certain place. I kind of viewed uncertainty as sort of a layover or an inconvenience on my trip between moving from one village of certainty into another village of certainty. I was going to leave my Mormonism childhood home and go find my adult home. I wasn't looking at uncertainty as the goal when I first started this deconstruction process. I wasn't looking at it as the final destination. And yet the longer that I'm in this space, the more I believe that purposefully choosing to remain curious, to ask questions, to push back on the places where we hear ourselves in our heads say, 
this is right or this is the truth. And leave that open door, if nothing else, to that thought to say, this is what I believe to be true right now. Or this is what is right for me right now allows us to rest a bit, but also leaves that open door where our brains can still look for information that contradicts those things. Because the moment we decide, this is what I believe, this is what is right, this is the way, the thinking has been done. Our brains shut off any information that comes in to the contrary. So leaving that bit of an open door, that open space where we can say, this is what feels right to me right now. And kind of in our heads, think to ourselves, there may be information out there that I don't know yet, or something that we haven't even learned as a society yet that might change my mind. But for right now, this is what feels like truth, but I am open to learning more. And I think when we leave that openness, instead of looking for a new village or a new ideological bunker to go inhabit, when we can say, this is what feels comfortable right now, but that might change as I learn and grow and evolve. I believe that if we're to remain free, we really can't be looking for a safe, certain landing space in which to live out the remainder of our lives. If we're going to remain free, which this is called the Emancipate Your Mind podcast, that is one of my big goals for my own personal life, to remain free, to think about things from all different angles, and to grow and expand and increase my awareness of myself and the world. If we're going to remain free, though, it requires that we befriend uncertainty. We have to hold it and embrace it in our arms, and we have to continue to beckon it closer and ask of it, what else is there to learn here? Because the moment we say, this is what's right and that's what's wrong, we close the book of our learning on that subject. It's the reason so many of us were so curious about things that were outside of our religion, but when it came to our religion, particularly in our high-demand religions and our cults, We closed the book. We didn't look too carefully because we were filtering things through our bias. And so if we can just remember to leave the book open, to tell our brains, this is what feels good now, but I'm open to learning more. Our brains will continue to scan for new information and ways for us to learn and grow and evolve because we've told our brain we're open to change. We're open to learning. But as long as uncertainty feels like the enemy, as long as it feels like something we're running from and that we want to avoid, we're going to be driven by fear and we're going to be looking for new ideological bunkers to inhabit with other people telling us what is right and what is wrong. And anytime we're in ideological bunkers where there is a right way of thinking and a wrong way of thinking, it eventually leads to masking. There will be parts of ourselves that are welcome and parts of ourselves that are not welcome. And anytime we have to mask parts of ourselves, we're fitting in. We're not belonging. The only way for us to belong is for us to be able to be all of ourselves, not just most of ourselves or half of ourselves, but all of ourselves. And that's not possible when there's a right way to believe and a wrong way to believe or a right methodology and a wrong methodology. And that's why on this podcast, because I want this to be a community of belonging, a community of healing, a community where we get to practice showing up as all of ourselves in our various states of deconstruction, where we have certain things figured out and other things not figured out, and that gets to be okay. This is a community where we get to ask questions of one another, kind of push back on things that are uncomfortable and have healthy conflict, where we get to respect one another and care for one another, but also really explore latent beliefs that we might have that are no longer serving us and really ask ourselves tough questions. If we're going to create that kind of community here, though, 
we need to allow a wide range of beliefs. We need to have conversations that are healing and respectful, but push back on some of the things that we might have buried deep inside of us. So yeah, that means sometimes I'm going to be interviewing very unapologetic atheists who see the world through that lens. And other times I will be interviewing very unapologetic Christian ministers who are open-minded and want to create communities of more love and belonging who fall in line with what we're trying to accomplish here is allowing us to hear our inner knowing, but they're going to see the world through their lens of an unapologetic Christian minister. When that is triggering, because hearing views that oppose our deeply held and cherished beliefs is going to be triggering, that's not a bad thing. That discomfort is not a bad thing. That discomfort is a teacher. That discomfort tells us, okay, there's something to explore here. Even if it's, I don't like the way this guy is speaking. Okay, let's get curious about that. What specifically is bothering me? What specifically is making me feel uncomfortable? Let that discomfort teach you. Let that discomfort tell you more about yourself, more about your values, more about what you like and don't like, more about what you want. Let the discomfort lead you closer to yourself. I think so often we feel like in order to feel secure, because many of us have come from childhoods of insecure attachment where agreement was love. And we're going to be talking about that with my husband over the next couple of weeks. We're talking about secure attachment. I mean, we went into all of the narcissism and the unhealthy abuse patterns that we can have in families and in our relationships with God. We're going to be talking about what healthy attachment looks like. But just know that many of us have anxious or avoidant attachment styles that lead us to believe we're only safe when people agree with us. And that being individual is unsafe. That disagreement is unsafe. So if you're hearing ideas that trigger you, know that this is an opportunity to get to know yourself better and to practice what we're going to be learning in the upcoming podcast about secure attachment, which is where you get to be fully yourself and allow somebody else to be fully themselves. And you get to exchange ideas and connect in an intimate way where neither of you lose your sense of self. So if over the past couple of weeks as you've been hearing ideas that differ from yours and have triggered you, if that's felt like, oh, maybe I don't belong here, maybe this is an unsafe space, allow yourself to sit with that. And please, by all means, reach out and let's have a conversation about that. And I want you to know over the past couple of weeks, I had triggers too. It's not like I've healed all of my triggers. I had triggers too. And I've learned so much about myself. And there are still some things I'm sitting with that I'm continuing to learn about and get curious about and hold space for. Part of growth is holding space for that void where the answers can bubble up. When we deconstruct I think we look at it as I'm going to tear down this building. And I got this idea from Joe Lumen on her podcast like two weeks ago. So helpful. If you haven't listened to her podcast, The Living Room, go listen. So many good ideas there. But she was talking about how so many of us think of deconstructing as I'm going to tear down this building and then I'm going to build another building here. When... Actually, our next experience might be a motorcycle journey across the country or an RV journey across the country, or we might be camping, or we might be moving across the country. We might not be building anything there. So instead of having preconceived notions about what must be there, be okay with leaving it blank for a bit because Often we don't know what's going to go in that space from the get-go. 
we deconstruct the big building, we take some time to move the debris and sort through it and keep the pieces that matter to us and, and haul away the rest of the garbage that is no longer serving us. But sometimes the blueprints for what's going to be built next, sometimes the plans for the next part of our life don't immediately make themselves known. And because we're so uncomfortable with uncertainty and because our brains are like, oh my gosh, there's a void there, it can be so tempting to just want to fill that with some other building, some other ideology, to just put something in that blank space so that we don't feel like there's a gap in our sense of self, so that we don't feel that void. It's so important to protect the void. It's so important to hold space for that conscientious space to say this lot is empty because I'm giving it space to tell me what is supposed to go here. For those of you who've listened to me for a while now or who are participating in my identity recovery courses on the Emancipate Yourself app, you've heard me talk about trying things on. Because we deconstruct and then we don't know what wants to go in that space. And so I talk about this process of trying something on and sticking it in the space with the understanding it's not going to stay there. So we put it in the space and we look at it critically from all angles and say, does this fit? Does this feel healthy? Does this feel nourishing? Does it feel in alignment with my values? It's kind of like trying on shoes. You know how you put them on your feet and you look at them, you're like, okay, they're cute. I like these. But then you walk around in them and you see to yourself, you know, do they pinch my pinky toe? Do they hurt my heels? Are they going to rub and cause me blisters? Do they hurt the arches of my feet? You're doing that with belief systems. It's okay to explore. It's okay to go look at Buddhism. It's okay to go look at Taoism. It's okay to go look at Islam. It's okay to learn about being a Wiccan. It's okay to go and learn about being a secular humanist. And it's okay to just take parts from all of this. It's okay to create something custom for yourself, but really protect that void until you find something that feels like it was made just for you. And even then, when you find the thing that was made just for you, leave that open door of, this feels so good right now. Remember to leave that open door of, I could still learn more. I could still evolve and change. This may change at some point in the future, but right now, it fits like a glove. I know I've told this analogy before, but when I was in third grade, I had a pair of splatter-painted stonewashed jeans that were some of the coolest, most amazing jeans on the planet. They had the pleats, you know, by the waistband. Like, they were super cute. They were all the rage. Well, fashion changed, and I grew And even though those pants were the perfect fit for me in third grade, they're not the perfect fit for me in 2022 with a 42-year-old body. They just aren't. I would be highly uncomfortable. I don't think I would even fit. And if I believed I was supposed to fit in those jeans now as a 42-year-old woman in 2022, I'd probably feel really, really badly about myself. Your beliefs are the same. When you were in third grade, You had beliefs that fit you like my stonewashed splatter-painted jeans fit me then. My guess is that you have beliefs that fit you, but when you leave that open door, you're telling yourself, I'm going to evolve, and the understanding in the world is going to evolve. I mean, right now, we have neuroscientists learning things about the brain we didn't know even just two or three years ago. We are mapping the brain and understanding the way the brain responds to different stimuli and how it connects the dots and how neurons wire together and just all of these things that a decade ago would have been unknown, unheard of. The world is going to change. Empathy. We did not understand how toxic shame was two decades ago. The world has changed. We now understand that shame is incredibly toxic and leads to all kinds of psychological and emotional problems. If we are consistently shaming someone and they're having to live in that environment. We didn't know that two decades ago. I was in college and we didn't know that. 
You guys, I'm getting so old. I remember in college, my professor saying, you know, for years we studied what made unhealthy marriages, but we're starting to study what makes a healthy marriage. It's so exciting. So we're teaching you state-of-the-art new understandings about healthy marriages and families and what makes those work. It was the year 2000. And in those 22 years... Since I was in that class where my professor said, it's so exciting to be a therapist right now because we're actually studying what makes healthy families instead of what makes broken families. We've come so far from there. The understanding has changed. If we're going to put it in fashion terms, going back to my pants from third grade, the fashion has changed. So the world and its expectations have changed. And I personally have evolved. So my beliefs now about what makes me a healthy person, how I want to interact with my kids as a parent, how I want to interact with my husband as a spouse, all of that has evolved. I'm wearing new pants now. And I understand that here at 42, the way I'm doing things feels really good. It feels really comfortable. It feels like it's really supporting me. It feels like those third grade pants. And yet, as we continue to evolve as a society and as I continue to evolve as a person, my beliefs and my patterns of behavior will change to fit my life as I grow and evolve. I love a quote from Jane Fonda. I think I actually said this in the last podcast too, but I just watched a documentary on Jane Fonda a couple of weeks ago with my husband because we're both total nerds and that's what we do on Fridays when our kids are at school typically is we sit down and we watch documentaries and we have these long conversations or we go to lunch and he tells me what he's learning in his therapy and I tell him what I'm learning with my coaching and we kind of share information and it keeps our marriage alive and it helps us feel connected, but it also expands our understanding and helps us meet our clients' needs better. But we were both watching this documentary on Jane Fonda on Netflix and she said individuals like countries should always be in revolution. And that made me think about how we're not meant to choose now who we're going to be for the rest of our lives, but we're meant to continue to evolve and learn and grow. Now, one of the things that gets in the way of us being able to continue to evolve and learn and grow is our access to information. And that's where the confirmation bias really comes in. When we're filtering information so that we only take in what already supports our current beliefs and patterns, we're missing out on the opportunity to adjust our beliefs, to adjust our patterns. And we see this in all facets of our life, not just religious beliefs or spirituality. We see this in what relationships we believe are possible or how much money we believe that we're able to make or what our capabilities are as a person. When we have set beliefs about how the world works or about our capabilities or about who we are, our brains also filter information according to that. So if you believe you're broken, you're irreparably broken because of religious and childhood trauma, your brain is only going to look for information that supports that belief. If you believe that happy marriages don't exist, that they're a fairy tale because your own parents had a really tumultuous marriage and that it ended in a messy divorce and the same thing happened to you, guess what? That's what you're going to see in the world. You're going to see evidence of all the messy, broken marriages and it will confirm to you, yep, marriage is messy and broken always. If you believe that money is evil and makes people do evil things, all your brain will take in are people who are making a bunch of money and doing evil things with it. And it won't take in all of the evidence of people making money and doing lots of wonderful, beautiful, helpful, philanthropic things in the world as well. So just know that when you have a belief of this is the way it is, whether it's a religious belief or a belief about the world or about yourself, your brain will only look for evidence of that. And it's crazy how confirmation bias does this too, because it's not just in what we allow in. So that is part of it. When we search for information, our confirmation bias can come into play. So let's say you are trying to figure out what kind of pet you want to have in your house, and you're trying to decide between a cat or a dog. If you're already leaning toward a cat, 
you may search something like, why are cats better pets than dogs? And everything that comes up in your search is going to favor cats and diminish dogs. It's going to talk about all the favorable qualities of having a cat and all of the undesirable traits about having a dog. And vice versa, if you have a bias already that you would prefer to have a dog and you search, why are dogs better pets than cats? Everything that comes up is going to play up why a dog is the best choice and why a cat is an inferior choice. And we do this with all kinds of beliefs. So we might search, why are marriages doomed to fail? And everything that comes up is going to say things about the divorce rate, why marriage is hard, messy breakups, and it's going to confirm what you already believe. So the way we search for information can affect the information we have available to us. I noticed myself doing this early in my research with the LDS church. I noticed it in my research for healing. And so now I like to type in my question, get the information, and then I like to play devil's advocate of if I didn't believe that this were true, what would I type into the search engine? And then I type that in. And then I question that again. And then I type that in. So I like to play devil's advocate with my own beliefs. If I notice myself typing in and looking for a certain kind of belief and I don't catch it all the time, again, remember, call me on it if you see me using confirmation bias in this podcast, okay? Please, open invitation. You are welcome to come and tell me your observations, your concerns. It helps me grow. So I am happy to have any kind of conversation No matter what emotion you bring to my table, whether it's anger or frustration or disappointment or just, you know, questions or concerns, I should probably mention that I do have a boundary around people bringing these things up because I am happy to have an open-minded conversation where we get curious and we explore and there's not judgment. What I'm not happy to do is to be preached at or lectured. So if you're coming into my DMs and you're coming to convert me to your way of thinking and you're not willing to explore your way of thinking and why you believe that way and you're not willing to have me kind of push back on you a little bit, then maybe let's pass because it'll just be frustrating for both of us, okay? So that's my boundary. Come with an open mind, with curiosity, with non-judgment, willing to explore, Don't come with your prepackaged belief of this is the way it has to be or we're going to knock heads and it just isn't going to be a very fruitful experience for either of us, okay? So happy to have you in my DMs expressing anything you need to express as long as we come with curiosity and open mind and a willingness to have a back and forth conversation, okay? Okay, so Let's get back to confirmation bias. So the first thing that we do is we tend to search only for information that supports our pre-existing bias. And one of the things we can do is to catch that when we notice that we're researching a certain way, push back on that and ask what would the opposite view search and search some of that. And this even works, you guys, for some of the hot button topics that are going on today with politics and healthcare and just all of those things. When I notice myself only consuming information from one side of the equation, I will purposefully make myself go and seek out information from thoughtful people who've done research and who feel differently because I want to keep an open mind. I don't want to go into my ideological bunker. So the next thing we do is we favor information that supports our bias. And this totally still happens to me. Even when I'm searching information to help me put together these podcasts and then I search the opposite side of that and I continue to try to look at all facets, I will notice myself sometimes giving more weight to certain people or certain points of view than I give to other points of view. And just notice that. Be curious about it. Make your bias something that you're aware of. Bring it to consciousness because remember the first step to healing anything is to become aware of it. So 
really, really big tip there is just notice if you're at a debate or if you're listening to the news or you're searching information or you're on your Twitter feed, just pay attention to what information you give more weight to and what information you have a tendency to dismiss because that's going to help you see your bias as well. And then next, we have a tendency to have a biased interpretation of information. And this really comes to mind because last weekend, I was watching a documentary about flat earthers with my husband, and they were talking about experiments that they were doing to prove that the earth was flat, and the experiment didn't go the way that they expected it to go. And so they did this experiment, and what they expected to happen if the earth was flat isn't what happened. What happened is what they would expect to happen if the earth was round. And instead of interpreting that information from the science experiment that they set up as maybe I need to review my belief, they interpreted it in a way that still supported their belief. And we all do this, not just flat earthers. We all, when we have beliefs, And there's cognitive dissonance when there's something that's not lining up with our deeply held beliefs, when we're getting benefits from that belief, or when we really, really, really want to believe this thing, we will do mental gymnastics and bend and twist to make the new information support our already previously held belief. Just be aware that that's something that can happen. And again, just being aware that we all do this sometimes. We all get information that contradicts our beliefs And sometimes we will do mental gymnastics. Now, the interesting thing is when we're doing those mental gymnastics, we often have some emotional discomfort. So this is where emotional intelligence can really help us pinpoint where we're performing these mental gymnastics, where we might be feeling some fear, where we might be feeling some shame or some anxiety. And just paying attention to those emotions can help us trace back to our cognitive dissonance, where what we're hearing really rubs up against what we already believe and allows us to just get curious. Again, if you are recognizing some of these things and you're like, oh my gosh, I totally do that. There is no shame here. You're a human. Your brain's doing what your brain is designed to do from thousands of years of evolution. And the cool thing about being a human is we actually get to push back on that evolution. We get to push back a little and say, okay, I understand that you're designed to do this, but it's really not serving me. So I'm going to consciously, with my human executive thinking brain, I'm going to actually put in a fail safe here so that we don't just do what we're genetically wired to do. And so that I can actually think more abstractly and more openly and allow myself more options and more freedom. So just know if you're falling into confirmation bias and you're recognizing some of that, you're not a bad person. Just be aware of it. Get curious with it. Allow some space for it. It's all going to be okay. The more aware we make these things, the more likely it is we will change our behavior if it's not getting us what we want. And then last, confirmation bias can really show up in our recall of information. So this makes people remember information that supports their beliefs and forget information that contradicts them. We see this in high-demand religion all the time, especially when they change their doctrine or whatever. People have a tendency to remember the things that support their beliefs and forget the things that don't support their beliefs. And this has happened even as I've been deconstructing. So looking back over my time in Mormonism, as I've been deconstructing and have the belief that Mormonism has caused me harm, and I still believe that, that Mormonism has caused me harm, there for a while, though, I was only seeing the harm. I couldn't also admit Mormonism also did me good. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's a bit of a pendulum swing because for a long time, I was only allowed to look at the good. And so for the first time as I was deconstructing, I was allowed to look at the harm and to talk about it openly and to become aware of it so that I could start to heal it. But because I was in that space, all I could see was the harm. Like the church could do no right in my eyes. 
people from the church could do no right in my eyes. The whole package to me felt harmful. And I think that that's a normal stage of healing. You see that when people get divorced, even though there are things that you may love about the person or things that you cherished about being in a relationship with them, when you're breaking up, you distance yourself fully and you use that confirmation bias as a way to comfort and soothe yourself and to heal from any damage that was done in the relationship. And so you only look for the bad. You only remember how they left their dirty socks on the ground and how they flirted with other women or how they were really condescending or controlling or any of those things. You only look at those parts. You don't look at the parts that you loved and that you miss because that separation is something that you need in order to grieve and to heal. And so I think a lot of us coming from high demand religion do the same thing where we were forced to only look at the good because we were trying so hard to make it work. And when we decide to leave the breakup phase, we can only see the bad. So we have this confirmation bias of that thing was bad. And all we see when we look back, all we can recall are the times we felt shame, the harm. Then as we begin to heal, we get into more of a middle place where we can see both the good and the bad. I do think that that takes conscious effort, though, to get out of that place of that thing is evil and bad. And as we heal, to be like, there were things there that I miss that I love. And there were things that were really unhealthy for me. To be able to hold space for that paradox. And that, I think, is what we're really trying to do as we hold space for this uncertainty, for this freedom of thought, is we're holding space that all of our beliefs have pros and cons. I can't think of a single belief I have that doesn't have pros and cons. Even what I'm talking about in this podcast, the belief that freedom of thought requires uncertainty. It requires us to hold space for uncertainty. There are pros to that which is the ability to endlessly learn and grow and expand and evolve. But there are some definite drawbacks to that, which is it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And a lot of people won't understand. There are so many people, especially in our world today, that want you to choose an ideological bunker. They want to know, are you with me or are you against me? And it takes a bunch of courage to say, I'm with me. And I'm willing to accept that there are parts of your argument that make sense and there are parts that don't for me. And that there are places where we overlap and places where we don't overlap. And that's really what being an individual who is rooted into their own authority is about. If you ever find yourself perfectly lining up with another person or organization or ideology, get curious with yourself because you are so unique and individual that there should be pieces of you that don't line up. My husband and I, we have a lot in common, but there are pieces of him that are completely different than me. And there are pieces of me that are completely different than him. We are two fully formed individuals and we have overlap but we also have difference. And that created a lot of friction for us for a while because I thought that agreement was love. And all the little places where we disagree, all the little places where we had different needs made it feel like we weren't a good match. But since deconstructing high-demand religion and starting to learn about healthy attachment, I've realized that that means we're in a healthy space, that it's okay that we have lots of places where we agree but that those places where we don't agree and where it's safe for me to be like, eh, I don't really want to do that. You go ahead. You go have fun. Or that I can have different thoughts about God. We have landed in different places with our ideologies about the existence of God and what kind of God that might look like. Our children have different ideologies than both of us. And that means that we're developing healthy attachment. So if you ever see that you are lining up or it appears that you're lining up perfectly with another person, whether that's a coach, a religious leader, or just a friend or your spouse, if you see yourself perfectly lining up where you don't have disagreements, you don't have friction, it means that one or both of you is masking parts of yourself, that it is not safe 
for you to be all of yourself. Now, you might be allowed to be 90% of yourself, and that might feel really good, but really get curious about that 10%. What's the 10% you don't feel like you can say? What's the 10% you don't feel like you can bring into the light when you're with the other person? So if you feel like you're completely lining up, get curious with yourself because chances are you're not completely being yourself. Many of us here, as we're deconstructing, let's just notice where we're uncomfortable with uncertainty. Let's notice where we're striving to find the right answer to fill the void. Let's notice when we're being pushed or pulled by leaders or coaches or podcasters or online voices, and that includes me. I want you to disagree with me sometimes and to take the information that works for you and to disagree with what doesn't work for you. That is a healthy and wonderful thing. We're not meant to agree 100% of the time because I'm a completely different individual looking at the world through a completely different lens than you are. And the fact that you're here means that we do have some overlap. But if you find yourself trying to fall in line with everything I'm saying on this podcast, get curious with yourself. Find out if there's any parts of you that you're masking. Are there any parts of you that you're subverting? And allow yourself to bring those parts of you to the forefront. You get to disagree. You get to think independently. You get to take what works for you and leave what doesn't work for you. This is that kind of community. And in that kind of community, we can allow interviews from a wide spectrum of people because each of us has something to teach each other. You have all taught me with your messages and emails the last two weeks. I've been so busy in conversation with you and I have loved every minute of it. Thank you for trusting me with your questions. Thank you for feeling safe enough to tell me that you were angry or that you disagreed. Thank you for telling me your suggestions of what you think we should do going forward. All of this gives me places where I can ask myself questions, look at what I'm doing from a different perspective and continue to be curious because that is what we're after. Remaining curious, questioning everything, including our deeply held pet beliefs, the ones that we hold on to the tightest. Question everything. It's okay to keep learning. It is safe to keep evolving. And as we end today, I actually just want to read something by Brene Brown. I know you're shocked, right? I never quote Brene Brown. (laughs) I quote her all the time. The book I read right as I was leaving Mormonism, because the way my relationship with Brene Brown's work has gone is that she has ended up publishing a book that has dealt with something like a personal problem at exactly the right moment every single time. And I have thrown, I think, three of her books across the room. So I disagree even with Brene Brown. There have been times I've read something and I was like, yeah, that's shit. And I've thrown it. So (laughs) just know that that is part of the process. I've appreciated so much that her words have been so honest and have triggered me so much that I've been able to really question some parts of myself. But one of those ideas that I did not get and actually really made me angry was this idea that belonging comes from being willing not only to be in the wilderness, but to be the wilderness. And I didn't understand it for a long time, which is probably what made me angry. Things that I don't understand really frustrate me, especially when I've been trying for years. And it probably took me three years to really understand this concept of being the wilderness But she says in her book, Braving the Wilderness, she says the special courage it takes to experience true belonging is not just about braving the wilderness. It's about becoming the wilderness. It's about breaking down the walls, abandoning our ideological bunkers, and living from our wild heart rather than our weary hurt. We're going to need to intentionally be with people who are different from us. We're going to have to sign up, join, and take a seat at the table. We're going to have to learn how to listen, how to have hard conversations, look for joy, share pain, and be more curious than defensive, 
all while seeking moments of togetherness. When I read that, I threw the book across the room because I was so deeply wounded at that moment in my life. And I felt so utterly alone. Having just left Mormonism, all the people I thought were my friends had quit talking to me. My family had disconnected from me. Not physically, but ideologically, there was huge distance there. My husband and I were both going simultaneously through our own faith crises, and though we were drawing strength from one another, we were coming to different conclusions, and because we had had some unhealthy attachment patterns in our childhoods that had also come with us into our marriage, that felt incredibly dangerous to me that we were coming to different conclusions. And I remember thinking to myself how dangerous that felt to have to live in the wilderness. When I think of living in the wilderness, it it feels alone. Becoming the wilderness means I never get to return home. There is no home to return to. And then she goes on to talk about from this place of having no home, having to interact with people who think differently than us, who push against our ideological bunkers, who question us, who we have conflict with. And conflict felt super uncomfortable to me at the time as well. And I just thought, I'm going to have to be lonely with people who don't get me for the rest of my life? I was really angry about it. And I chucked her book across the room. But then I let that idea just sit with me and percolate for months. And I kind of realized what she was saying, which is, our home is ourself. I belong to me, which means that as I evolve... As I grow, as I learn, I never quit belonging because I'm always me. And this is a very existential sort of a discussion that might not make sense to you right now. It might feel very kind of woo-woo or out there, but sit with it. We belong to ourselves. Whether we're in someone else's home, whether we're in a relationship with someone, whether we're in an organization, we belong to ourselves. And it is when we belong to us, when we're anchored into who we are as we experience the wilderness, that we're always at home, that we always belong, and that we're allowed to go anywhere. There are no walls. There are no places we're not allowed to go. We get to wander and wonder as much as we want, and that at no place do we get lost because we're anchored into ourselves. And it is from this place, when we are anchored and free, that we can then take a seat at the table with people who are different than us. It's then that we're able to listen to different ideologies actively. We're able to listen to different beliefs. We're able to be empathic because we want to understand what it's like to be the other person because we're not afraid of losing ourselves. So often I think we want other people to agree with us Because we're so afraid that if they don't agree with us, we don't know who we are and that we'll lose our sense of self. But when we're rooted into us and we've given ourselves permission to be the wilderness, to go wherever those questions go, then it's okay if people have come to different conclusions. It's okay if they wandered to a different part of the wilderness. There's a way for us to be together in our experience of I'm in the wilderness and you're in the wilderness, but I see a different vista and you see a different vista and that gets to be okay. And that really is what I'm striving for on this podcast and in my work with the app is to help you root into you and belong to you and to feel safe with yourself and to trust you as your own guide so that you can allow space for other people to be themselves. It leads to some really deep, rich, beautiful attachment, which is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about healthy attachment for the next few weeks with my husband, who's a marriage and family therapist. But it starts first with belonging to you. Because as long as I need you to validate me, as long as I need you to agree with me, as long as I need your information to line up with my beliefs, one or both of us has to mask in order for us to get along with one another. It's only when I'm fully allowed to be myself and you're fully allowed to be yourself and I validate me and you validate you 
that we're able to be in relationships where we line up on some of our experiences and some of our viewpoints, but we allow for difference in individuality. It is a beautiful thing. I had no idea that attachment like this was possible. I'm still working on it because I have childhood attachment wounds, but I found a couple of people where I feel safe and I feel secure and we're practicing this healthy attachment And it is so soul expanding to know that I can show up as all of me. There are no parts of me I need to hide and we can relate and you can accept me as me, all of me. And I can accept you as you, all of you, even though there are places where we don't line up and we don't agree and we may be wildly different and even exactly contradictory. And that gets to be okay because I see your beauty and you see mine. And we love what each of us brings to the table. I think this is what Brene Brown is talking about when she says that we get to look for joy, share pain, and be more curious than defensive all while seeking moments of togetherness. This is what I hope for on this podcast, which means we're going to be inviting a wide array of people to this table. And I hope you'll stay here for the feast. And I hope you'll engage in the conversation and that you'll bring your curiosity, that you'll bring your experience, that you'll bring conversation to the table and that we'll all learn together. I am so grateful for all of you for this experience. And I look forward to talking with you and with my husband, Kevin, next week.